Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Not Funny Guys present Why, exploring the philosophy, rhetoric, and cultural impact of the MCU. I'm your host, Dr. John, and my friends, my best friends, Eric and Casey, are taking a few weeks off. So over the next couple of weeks, you'll hear me talking to some new voices and a few old ones. This week, I will be joined by Dr. Catherine Silva, again, my colleague at Claflin University, as well as my best friend and artist Aaron Benson to talk about the MCU, uh, particularly Falcon and Winter Soldier. Just a reminder, this podcast is an extension of the Not Funny Guys present Off the Reels, where we explore the films, and here we will explore some of the ideas that stick out and have some debate, starting with asking the question, why? This is episode 17, Racial Disparity in Falcon and Winter Soldier. So let's start with some comic book origins. First of all, let's note it. John Walker, a.k.a. U.S. Agent. Jonathan F. Walker, and I want to note here that his name is spelled incorrectly. It's J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N. That's the wrong way. First appeared in the comic books as a supervillain named Super Patriot in Captain America number 323. In 1986, he was, of course, created by Mark Grunewald, Grunewald and Paul Neary. He was created to present a counter message to, shall we say, Captain America's version of patriotism. So the dark side. Uh, he is a negative version of Captain America. He is Steve Rogers, very much opposite. The character reemerged later in Captain America, replacing Steve Rogers after he quit. And he did turn superhero when Rogers retook his role as Captain America and eventually became U.S. agent and uh, does have, of course, super soldier abilities and his own shield. So keeping up here, Super Patriot first appeared in Captain America number 323 in 1986 as Captain America and Captain America number 333 in 1987 and then eventually settled in as U.S. agent in Captain America number 354 in 1989. Now, another character who became a prominent, uh, and shall I say surprise, a very pleasant surprise in the series, is Isaiah Bradley. Now, he first appeared in Truth, Red, White, and Black in number one in 2003. He was created by Axel Alonso, Robert Morales, and Kyle Baker. He held the title Captain America himself and was, in fact, part of an early super soldier program in 1942. Part of the program called Rebirth. Uh, tried to replicate Erskine's creation of Captain America, represented a metaphor as for the Tuskegee experiments where they tested syphilis on African-Americans who were unsuspecting and is one of the great tragedies of our country. Um, now, they did not have superhuman powers, but the serum that they did give them peak human abilities. Uh, it's another example of them messing it up, which they've done a lot in the MCU. Bradley, of course, is the sole survivor of his test group. He was captured on a mission uh, and then rescued by German insurgents, only to spend 1943 to 1960 locked up in Leavenworth Prison, where he was pardoned by President Eisenhower. He has been referred to as the Black Captain America, eventually suffering from Alzheimer's. He did eventually meet Steve Rogers, Captain America, who learned of the program in 2003 in the comic books. Finally, we have Slag Smasher. Now, unlike the TV show, Flag Smasher is actual character, not characters. Um, in the comics, it is a person, not a group. Uh, actually, name of two different anti-national supervillains who were opponents of Captain America. The original version, Carl Morgenthau, same sounds familiar, 
was a foe of Captain America and others. He was created by Mark Grindelwald and Paul Neary, same who people who created U.S. Agent, and first appeared in Captain America number 312 in 1985, gifted in hand-to-hand combat and terrorist strategist. Now, of course, in the MCU, we did take some liberties and change. We went from Flag Smasher to Flag Smashers as a group, and Carl Morgenthal became Carly Morgenthal. And, of course, Isaiah Bradley was changed during his time frame and instead of being developed in world war ii he came post-world war ii and was in korea where he obviously met bucky barnes all right folks i am now joined by my friend and artist as well as collaborator on the upcoming graphic novel about the orangeburg massacre in orangeburg south carolina aaron benson welcome aaron thank you for having me jonathan all right so we are going to be talking specifically and this is something that came up the idea of racial disparity in Falcon and Winter Soldier. And I wanted to start by talking about what exactly is racial disparity. Um, According to Harvard Law School, racial disparity refers to the imbalances and incongruities between treatment of racial groups, including economic status, income, housing options, social treatment, safety, and a myriad of other aspects of life and society. I think that a lot of ways it was very fascinating and very surprising and yet refreshing to see that Falcon and Winter Soldier kind of went right at this idea in a lot of ways, especially considering not only that Sam Wilson was going to become a black Captain America, but this idea of systemic racism in America and how far back it went with the revelation of Isaiah Bradley. And so I want to open with the question in What ways do we think that Falcon and Winter Soldier attempts to challenge, perhaps fail, and even succeed at tackling this idea of racial disparity in America? Well, I'm I'm glad that that's a that's a topic for discussion, especially with such a high profile project. Um, Anything that is Marvel or Disney related is going to be high profile, and um, this uh, particular series. Uh, it's really it's really impressive in some ways how they just went right out and weren't subtle about racial disparity and also a lot of the ugly parts about American history, how it's um, how it's sometimes or no, not sometimes quite often obscured, um, often in the name of. Of uh, we'll say. um I guess you could say, well, yeah, often naming white supremacy, whether it's blatant or even, um, you know, indirect. Um, Isaiah Bradley was the first Captain America in the comics. And actually, he, well, he's technically the second. They, he's the first attempt at reviving Captain America. Um, he is the and when they re, when he when he emerges in 2003 in truth, uh, red, white and black. Number one, yes. it's actually the first attempt at replicating what they had done with um, Captain America. Um, I mentioned this earlier in my preface that, you know, he's part of what's basically like a Tuskegee-like experiment mm-hmm. on African-American soldiers. Yes, and that's um, one of the things, and I'm glad you brought up truth. That's um, that's a, one of the most, um, it's one of the most important um I think Marvel comics or superhero comics of the past uh, two and a half or th- past three decades, really. And it's yeah. really hard to find <laughs> anywhere because it's. It, it so is sp- not easy to find. I have a copy and it was not easy to locate. 
yeah and anyone who's um fortunate enough to get a hold of it and read it it's 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 really it's really incredible um how they they tell the, the historical parallels um are very significant and yeah you touched on the tuskegee experiments and um in the mini series or in the tv series falcon winter soldier especially when isaiah tells um sam about what he went through and how his you know his body was pretty much dissected experimented on and it you know it the first thing that i came to mind that came to mind for me when hearing about that was the tuskegee experiments and how other other candidates you know for this um this Captain America point two or two point oh sorry um program didn't survive, which mm. was a for a lot of the uh, a lot of the um un, you know soldiers or or uh, young men who enlisted in or who were part of the Tuskegee experiments and it's it's a very telling part of of America like the 20th century especially or uh, american america's legacy as far as the things that the scientific advances that we we've touted in the name of medicine and um you know engineer engineering um and i can only imagine in some ways how many breakthroughs quote unquote that we've had in the 20th century that we're at the the un, you know unknown cost of how many minorities were the subject and this is what was what I really commend Marvel for was the fact they shined a light on this on the, not just that but also racial disparity um, and also um, foreign policy and mm. there were just so many parallels to what's going on in the world now as far as uh, strained resources, America, you know, America's place in the world, not just America's place in the world, but like the, um, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the council, the security council that were trying to manage. Oh yeah. The ERE group. Yeah. Yeah. After and there's that guy, there's that confrontation at the end, because I think there's something really powerful about particularly Sam Wilson's own journey, because at the beginning of the series, he gives up the shield because it feels like it belongs to somebody else is what he told Steve at the end of Endgame, And he turns the shield over to the Smithsonian. And there is this idea that even he himself does not recognize the racial disparity because when he tries to get that loan with his sister and he runs into these things that even he has been insulated from, you know, or the fact that he didn't even know about Isaiah Bradley. Yes. You know, that he had no clue. And I think Isaiah Bradley's sort of righteous anger is 100% justified. Oh, yeah. You know, in the comic books, they literally, when he gets released, he gets broken out by insurgents in Germany. He makes it home and then gets thrown in prison for like mm -hmm. almost 20 years, yeah, basically, yeah. in the comic yeah. books. And there's so many parallels there of, of African-American and, and black um, whether it be soldiers, citizens, um, especially uh, black veterans after World War II coming mm -hmm. home and then just be, having to face 
just blatant outright racism and and just the just the, the the hate that was directed after the tremendous sacrifice they themselves made while their comrades or brothers in arms some like a lot of them are being celebrated and having parades but they themselves are just well that's smashed. racial disparity right there i mean there's one group of people who are being celebrated and there's another group of people because of their race for the exact same thing being denigrated forgotten in the case of Isaiah Bradley, it's like an exceptionally strong metaphor that it's like he's treated like he is a AWOL war deserter. I mean, he's locked up in Leavenworth prison in the comic books, and I'm pretty sure that's probably pretty close to what they did to him in the MCU. Yeah. And the um, and yeah, and, and that's the that's the sad thing about it is like he was captured, but he's treated like a deserter, which is just you know, that's it's again the the parallels and so from you know that they that they brought into this you know series from the you know from from real life i imagine there were many many people who or you know many minorities who were watching this and they were just it, it kind of struck it kind of they're like yeah this it's even if it wasn't the exact circumstances they could kind of nod their head and say i felt that and uh let and i gotta i gotta just say that um carl lumley's portrayal of isaiah mm -hmm. was i mean he part of the reason that it's so powerful was how he channeled that righteous anger but um carl lumley <laughs> he's he, he, one, one of the things that i gotta say about because he's been in a lot of great great um films a lot of great um uh, like it i mean just in terms of just comic book related projects like um uh like one of my favorite things is justice league and justice league unlimited i mean he's been he was he's been the voice actor for martian manhunter and that and he's been in um several noteworthy tv series but um I was really glad to see him be a part of this project and, and play a pivotal character. And he brought it. He was so good. Um, so just want to give some love for Carl Lumbly right there. No, but, I, um, I agree. He, he has an excellent performance in this. Um, and I, I ultimately think that what I find most interesting thinking about it and reflecting on is the way that for me, the racial disparity that's put on display, you, you kind of go on a journey with Sam in a lot of ways throughout the story. Because it's not just about him accepting the mantle of Captain America, which is part of the story, because there's all this fighting over that shield and what it means. Um, but in a lot of ways, it's also about Sam having to come to a fuller acceptance of his own identity, because I think one of the reasons why he didn't want to accept Captain America mantle to begin with is because I think maybe in some ways he thought because he wasn't white, he couldn't do it. I mean, I feel like there was an insecurity about that that maybe wasn't necessarily conscious, but maybe like a, an unconscious thing that had been instilled with him through his time in the military, his time with the Avengers, his time with Cap, yeah. you know, an unconscious element, because I think that's also something that plays into uh, racial disparity is oftentimes I think there is an unconscious element for a lot of people. And so to put Sam in that role um, as a black man lacking that sort of conscious understanding of his own racial identity and how even though it shouldn't matter 
it does unfortunately it does. you know uh, not for him but for the way that people treat him and they do treat him differently when they see him as a black man think about mm-hmm. the bank loan guy and the cops versus when they learn that he's falcon yes and um that was that's that's one of the there were several scenes like when i did a um a rewatch i, did, I picked out a couple episodes to rewatch and, and i and, but i especially remember that one from the for that particular scene from the first time I viewed it. And this was in episode two where, you know, he's going to, he's going to find Isaiah and he has, right after uh, they leave the house. Yeah. It's right after they left the house with him. After he left the house and he's being hassled by these policemen and uh, they recognize for somehow they recognize. But one of the, one of them puts it together. One of them puts it together who he is. And it's like, Oh, and it's like they completely change their tone. They treat him differently all of a sudden. It's it's yeah. That was that was a um again. I credit to Marvel for including that because who knows how? Like there were probably countless, countless uh, Black Americans who who if they see or who've seen that and they can say, "Yep, I know that. I know that feeling right there." And maybe not just even Black Americans, minorities, just. Mm-hmm. If you have a <laughs> whose skin just happens to be not white, who have experienced that um, at a traffic stop just because of perception, what some what somebody else sees, and it's it, it, it was it was something that I'm glad they they showcased in there, um, and as a whole about the Fal- the Falcon the Winter Soldier, the, you know, as a whole about the series. Um, when compare because uh, this was something I was, I was going to kind of circle around to, like um, in comparison to um, some of the uh, other Marvel projects, because um, it, it was this was Phase Four. It was very early in Phase Four. Yeah, it's in the end game <laughs> glow, and um, this series kind of like WandaVision had a lot to. Um, had a lot to to work with because it was the first of phase four. It was also the first after, well, no, actually it was the second after end game because um, spider when Spider-Man far from home, but, um, but I don't think WandaVision had some of the, um, had some of the, I guess you could say risks that Falcon and the winter soldier had in terms of, things they needed to they needed to address they wanted they're to taking address. bigger swings they're taking bigger swings at like yeah. patriotic identity of america is what they were doing i mean the entire like i said the entire fight over cap shield is like a fight over like who gets to dictate the future or the uh, present notion of what american patriotism is supposed to be i mean they turn to john walker as like a you know, a, a stopgap measure like and, and panic because they're having like the, all of a sudden the world's feeling unstable. And so they need something to be reassuring. And what do they do but turn to a white man? Yeah. You know, and not, and not just any white. Well, yeah, he's a hero, you know, but he's also if he there, there is a lot of thing in episode um, and going back to episode two of um of the series, uh, which is called the Star Spangled Man, mm-hmm. and it's kind of an ironic title because you have technically you have two Star Spangled Men, one being touted out, and one 
who was punished for being essentially yes. the next Captain America. And the parallels, it were I picked up more on that on the rewatch, but the 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 uh, other than like um, there's a lot of things I picked up like outside of the racial uh, disparity. Um, the thing about uh, this series, which uh, which I kind of feel like it gets unfairly slighted in uh, in retrospect, um, because well, you know, Marvel. Well, Marvel now everything post Endgame gets like gets really criticized and and um, you know picked apart and I think it's kind of unfair because there's a lot of great I think Phase Four as a whole is actually better than Phase Two because um, it's just you know there's a lot more there's some missteps I don't and one of the things though is I don't think uh, you know Falcon and the Winter Soldier was a misstep at all depending on who you talk to no I don't I don't think it was a misstep at all. I think it was one of their boldest projects and they succeeded on many fronts. Now there were some things that they, you know, they may have like kind of fumbled a little bit or may have been a little bit clunky, but I think maybe, um, but you know, for six episodes, um, which was essentially like, yeah, it was almost, yeah, it was like almost, uh, you know, two movies and one, I guess for the length, but like an extra um, long movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. An extra long movie it had a lot to handle it had a lot mm-hmm. to try it had more it, it it really had a lot more to set up and balance and um and push forward than probably the rest outside of loki maybe the rest of the mcu mm-hmm. uh probably for phase four because you had to deal with the legacy of steve rogers and captain america and for you know for a series that doesn't have Chris Evans in it at all, mm-hmm. except from the picture, you know, his character, Steve Rogers, like looms all over the series as yes. far as his. Yes. See, then you have the Wakandans, what you have, you know, they're because you're dealing with Zemo. And yeah. then, I mean, the, the product, like one thing that, you know, with that, any MCU project, um, no matter what they say in the press, the the over the goal is to move the MCU forward, which is what they were doing for the most part. Because you heard the X Men references, you heard all that. Mm-hmm. As far as like, okay, we're getting you. You could see the seeds of okay, we got the Thunderbolts coming too. But as far as some of the the main themes, as far as address, you know, Sam taking his place as Captain America, but also Bucky. Or um, <laughs> or um, Winter Soldier, which whoever yeah. I, I prefer as Winter Soldier, coming to terms with him, you know, with his, who he is, his past, and also who he can can be. Yeah. Then you got Walker, and then you have the Flag Smashers. There was so much to juggle in this series, and I think that Marvel really. They really nailed it. And plus the timing of the series. It yeah. came in April 2020, or um, was it basically spring? Yeah, spring. it was after WandaVision. It was in the spring. It was like when we were still in COVID. Yeah. Um, excuse me. Um, it came at a time where we're not only were we dealing with COVID. Yeah, COVID. I mean, we were still like, even though the bulk of the pandemic, like we were, it was... M- quote unquote over mm-hmm. at that point. It still very much loomed over the rest of the world. 
we were dealing with the aftermath of um, George Floyd mm-hmm. and Breonna Taylor. Like they're yeah. you know looming in in then of course we have we're, we're we're at a point where you know we're hearing so much about foreign policy at that point in America's place in the world and under <laughs> under you know with with Trump still being in office right now I mean the noticeable the very, I guess uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase there was a very noticeable change in perception towards America's place in the in the world as standing as far as you know diplomacy and and all of those things I felt like they fed into that series and it was that's why it was so timely and the um the you know I think that Sam kind of represents in when sorry um and watching this I felt like Sam represented Captain America or the idea of Captain America at of what it can and should be for the you know for today for this era and where John Walker represented this cat the Captain America with consequences the the cost uh, or 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 you know the i guess the captain america of an agenda that is created by a com- that is just pretty much assembled by a committee of agendas and goals rather than the idea of america i, I think um if you follow me more like the reality the ugly reality of america was john walker where sam was the idea of what America stands for and as Steve Rogers was before that. And I think the pair, like the scene where you see him fighting for the flag for not the flag for the shield, it kind of reminded me of how like, yeah, the, the we're, we're coming to this reckoning of what America, a lot of us believe it should be. And then the ugly reality of it. And it's there. There were just um, I'm thinking. I remember which episode that was. I believe that was episode five. Yeah, um, it was at the beginning of episode five because I remember it was at the end of episode four where Walk. Yeah, Walker um, killed one of the flag smashers. Yeah. So that I got to give credit to. Um, um the director of I'm, I'm looking up right now who the director of that of that particular episode was um carrie scoglin okay she directed the entire series okay, yeah good okay most of the most of the early series of marvel were all one person yeah i had a feeling that i i had a feeling i knew Mal, i wasn't sure if it, malcolm spellman was the director or just the, the showrunner but i remember carrie scoglin's name and I have to admit that that particular scene in um, oh, like the the first part of uh, episode five, um, that I, I really thought that was such a powerful battle because, um, in all credit to the actors, um, especially Wyatt Russell, because uh, 
that had to be difficult playing a character that you knew you know fans were just going to be awful about but he was he was he was really really good as the flawed john walker and he really showed that rage in that scene or that indignant rage of like you know i'm captain america and and the use of um henry jackman's um theme or musical cues from um winter soldier also in that one um it just that's one of those scenes where i i just you kind of, I, I when i was watching it i was kind of like okay i, I kind of held my breath because it was so intense and i felt like yeah this is this is the reality right here. We were we're seeing the idea of what America, the potential of America, and what it is supposed to stand for, fighting with the ugly reality of it and trying to claim the legacy. And um yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know I went on I went on a tangent there, but it's just uh it's it's one of my favorite scenes. It's it, I, it's such a thematically heavy scene in the um, in all of Marvel's whole, like you know, like all their works. It's such a heavy scene that I feel like it doesn't get doesn't get enough, um, you know, attention or doesn't really get looked at because it's 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 so pivotal. No, I I agree. All right, I am joining me now is my colleague, Dr. Catherine Silva, uh, returning for her second time on the podcast. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So um, I mentioned this before when, we were speaking, when I was speaking to Aaron about Falcon and Winter Soldier, that there are real hints, if not overt nods, in this series uh, taking on inequalities, uh, with, yes. particularly with Sam Wilson's story slash journey very much involving racial disparity. Um, and so, as I noted early, racial disparity, I'm using the Harvard School of Law term definition for it, refers to the imbalances and incongruities between the treatment of racial groups, including economic status, income, housing options, social treatment, safety, and a myriad of other aspects of life and society. So let's talk about this as we see it inside of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Right. So uh, you want to lead us off there with anything in particular? Because what I have here is my question is, what ways do we feel that Falcon and Winter Soldier, shall I say, challenge, maybe fail and succeed to take on this idea of racial disparity in America through its story? It's such an interesting question. And uh, this piece is so rich uh, with so many different storylines that really do take on this idea of inequality and racism and colonialism, actually. Okay. And so... Um, thinking about the super soldiers and why they're doing what they're doing, um, looking at the idea of Captain America, who is uh, Captain America, and why do they make even the point to say Black Falcon versus uh, then also Black Captain America, and of course the series finale um, speech uh, by the Falcon and talking about racism in America and what does that look like and what is it globally and what can we do? I think that there are so many touch points throughout this entire piece that we can delve into. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk about one part, um, but I, I, I guess, I guess we'll so start much. with the one point that I thought was so fascinating is that, and it, and it happens to do with the character of Baron Zemo in this character, in this story and how 
his role is he's he's not American, but yet he talks a lot about um, super soldier supremacy and mm-hmm. how the idea of it, where it leads in his mind and why he's so adamantly against it. So much to the fact that when those flag smashers are literally sitting in a van and he's back in jail, he still has it blown up to make sure that they are few if none left. Okay. Right. Because he makes that specific note of knowing that Steve Rogers was an exception, not a rule. I mean, I right. guess the rule in his mind would have been Red Skull, you know? Yes. And so I think it's fascinating from where I sit and, you know, and you're an African-American woman, I'm a white man, but we're both working at HBCU and looking around or at least talking about being here in America. Whenever I hear um, Zemo say super soldier supremacy, I think white supremacy. You Absolutely. Know? And I think I'm supposed to, to be honest. Yes. Yes, I think that is exactly the issue, right? So uh, thinking about what is a super soldier supposed to be? What are they representing? What do they look like, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the, the idea of super soldier being, and particularly looking at um, what is it supposed to be positive, say, in American ideology, right? So this idea of American exceptionalism, having a super soldier who's Captain America, definitely born out of the idea of World War II and saying that we're in fact, um, we're good, we're great. Look at how the super soldier is doing the right and just thing, but there are all these injustices happening within that. Um, I think that Zemo's right. There is a lot of problems with having one individual or one place look like they're, they're supposed to be the savior to all. That is very, um, very, very colonial mentality of how to think like, okay, we know the best for everyone. And not only do we know the best for everyone, but we have a person who looks this way, um, who looks like he's from Iowa or someplace in the Midwest. And in fact, epitomizes this idea of Americanness, right? This white blonde uh, man who's supposed to be like the savior, mm-hmm. but becomes, takes this, um, it's also interesting that he takes that serum and then becomes really, really much more um, radical in a way that senators are not happy about because they're like, oh no, you do too much. You killed him publicly. We're not supposed to do that publicly. You're supposed to do that privately. Don't, don't the show quiet part. He's doing do. the quiet part out loud, basically. Right, right. And I think it's that's like the problem with John at- Walker. I think that's a failure to understand. It's like a failure of the political leaders in a lot of way to understand what, where Captain America came from. They only saw the finished product and then they look and say, okay, can we replicate this? And one of the things I noted, I was talking to Aaron is the contrast with say Isaiah Bradley and what happened to him. And he was Captain America, you know, and even in the comic Mm -hmm. books, he ended up in prison. You know, because right. they were they were ashamed of it. It was, you know, he was, you know, this version of Captain America that they decide mm, we don't like that. And of course, when right. in the TV show, they go back to needing Captain America. The first thing they do is they seek out a white guy. Right. Because it exactly. worked the last time. It's got to work this time, too. You know? Exactly. 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 Not, it, not accounting for the fact that, you know, it's a different time. America's a different place. And technically, you brushed under the rug this sort of shame thing that you were ashamed of with another Captain America and how you treated him. Right. But that's, again, the idea of, like, who is allowed to be the super soldier? Who's allowed to be powerful? Who's allowed to actually demonstrate strength, right? And it's not a Black man. You you can't, gun control is great. We're going to get into 
guns right here. So the idea of gun control um, is idea because it's mostly controlling certain population of owning guns, right? So you think about the idea of radicalness. How do you have an Isaiah Bradley who is supposed to be Captain America, who is representing um, not only freedom and justice, but black freedom and justice. That is too radical for America. That even this idea that we've changed so much, have we? Have we really? So that I think is again the question, and that's why it comes back up right now. That's why this was filmed in 2021. Have we moved past that? Mm -hmm. Well, we're looking about violence um, and gun violence against African Americans um, perpetrated by um, policing agencies even now. And so there's a reason why that speech comes up. There's a reason why we talk about Isaiah Bradley it's because we recognize that it's not a, it's not wasn't okay in World War II for black men to demonstrate agency, which is why after the war they are forming other civil rights organizations that are armed like RAM and others. And then uh, go, look, going on to the Black Panther Party, and now today we're still thinking about what is justice and who's allowed to enact that justice. It's not a black man. So I think that is really one of the major themes of this particular piece. I kind of think that's fascinating because, you know, think about the group of pe the flag smashers in the series. They're not made right. up of your stereotypical American blonde blue eyed no. figures. They're made up of a very diverse group of people who are refugees, mm -hmm. immigrants, all the like people who've been yes. displaced who are exerting power, and the first thing America does is revert to a stereotype in response. Exactly. You know, exactly. and I think, I like the fact that I particularly enjoyed the end of this series when it was like, it's like, it's not just this government world council that's being forced to sort of look itself in the face. It's really right. make America look itself in the face and realize that this is this is your Captain America now. You're going to have to realize this is a better reflection of who we are. And mm -hmm. that's what Captain America should be as a symbol. Because there's always that fight throughout the series over that shield. And right. what it represents. Because it itself, it's like a totem for that shield is America. Right, and right. Do, do, you know, and when, when John Walker, you know, goes too far, it's taken from him. You mm -hmm. know, even though Sam is the one who gave it up. In the right. first place, if after right. Cap, after Steve Rogers gave it to him, because he mm -hmm. had this sort of, I guess, internal sense of he wasn't worthy, because right. obviously I would say I would say that America did not make him feel worthy, or the fact that throughout the series, he is basically discriminated against until people realize he's Falcon. Right. You know, the cops in Baltimore. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know who you are. <laughs> and it's like, it shouldn't have to be that way. You know, it's right. that kind of, it's making you aware as an audience. Like, as an audience member, I can imagine somebody going, don't they know that's Falcon? And it's, but right. you, you have to understand that the reason they don't recognize him is that they don't see him. They see a black man. And then, so they right. are the ones seeing his race first. He's the exactly. one who's in a lot of ways seeing his race last. Right. And it's about coming to some sort of middle ground, I think, sometimes when I right. think about it. There's Absolutely. a reality that they are not somehow diverged. You know, mm -hmm. there, there is some place where, you know, he had he in sort of like, I think that final speech he makes has a lot to do with that kind of idea. Yes. So even thinking about trying to get a bank loan for this historic space that him and his sister embody through their parents' hard work. And then him going to the bank getting denied the loan, but the loan officer saying, well, I know who you are, 
but that doesn't matter yeah. because I'm not going to give you this loan and I can't see your income, even though I know you who you are. I know you're a national hero, but you're still a black family and we're not going to give you this loan. Going back to the idea of discrimination and economics. Right. So there's all these different touch points across the entire um, piece, even the series um, the main quote unquote villain, um, again, thinking about um, who that person is, she's actually Erin Kellerman, who plays that um, role. She is actually Irish and Jamaican. And so, thinking about Irish, for example, did they pick her because of this idea of like IRA later on, earlier on? Or are they thinking also um, the activist groups um, and thinking about Jamaican activism, especially in the civil rights movement in the Americas. It's very interesting that I picked that particular actress. Well, she but even her the resistance leader before in uh, the exactly, solo movie. Exactly. And so being the resist, being playing Carly and being this person who is represented, like, I don't want walls and borders. I don't want to see this anymore. I want to see us all care about each other and being seen as um, violent even before violent acts have even really occurred because in fact, she's looking for some sort of autonomy for individuals, but also a collective as, as autonomy from the idea of the nation state, removing the nation state and saying, no, we're all humans together and how do we do this? And then bringing the individuals who are all represented different minority groups that we think about today as being refugees and then rejecting the word refugee, right? And yes. saying, no, that is a racist term. I know who I am. This is not that. So it's almost like going back to Black Panther and Killmonger. Like, th is this a actual villain or is this a person who's using the means that the state has already put on them and putting it back to them? Right. I think her so crime. It's such an interesting time to do. I think her crime in the in the eyes of like the government is that she's doing what they do, but it's not them. Exactly. You know? Exactly. She's exercising power that she should not have. Right. Which I think ties back into that whole idea about what Zemo is saying with the supremacy element is that there's right. this, and when he's talking about super soldier supremacy, he's talking about the idea that when you go down that path of power. Right, and you follow that path to its logical extent, you end right. up in a place where you are in uh, basically abusing it. You are exactly. using it, you become autocratic, you become you know authoritarian, exactly. whatever you want to label it as. And so, he's adamantly against that. But I think, in some ways, what I guess you could say makes him unsympathetic, Zemo himself, is that he's saying all that from a position that he had it all. Right. You know, he is actually, right. in a sense, denying it to others, even though it's not to say he doesn't have a point right. about the dangers of it. But he is also speaking from a position of privilege. He definitely is. And I, it's very interesting character, especially the fact that he's German mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and saying, I know what this looks like when one group or one person has too much power. Yeah. We've seen this happen. So this is not acceptable. He's he has a power of privilege, but he's also looking at it. If you think again, where this is all born out of, and the parrot's born out of, understanding that the idea of one human being, a one super nation, right, superpower, can control the narrative with these super um, soldiers is a problem, right? Mm -hmm. And that will eventually cause um, the ego to over. Um, come everything else and the ego of either the nation state or that person who's embodying that character. I think that's what kind of puts him against the flag smashers is that they're looking for this. 
not necessarily a one world government, but I think in a weird way, they may actually have more in common than they realize. They just happen to be on two different perspective tracks, whereas he sees what they're trying to do as create a one world that somehow turns into some sort of one world government. But they're really wanting some sort of one world where we take down all these things that divide us. Right. You know, they're looking for more of a unity and he's more of afraid of what might come afterwards. Exactly. And I think this is, again, our, our fear of between capitalism and communism. Right. So this idea of like being one world, the proletariat, getting access and then sharing the wealth. That is an ongoing struggle that we still deal with in nation states versus capitalist uh, nation states versus communist states. And so th- that is the argument that we're still dealing with. And they're doing this in this like microcosm of this series. But you do see all of these hints to it within it. I, I don't think this series gets enough credit for just how much stuff it is taking on and sort of an not really necessarily allegorical, but more of an analogical approach that's sort of dealing with. You know, they're dealing coming at this from a world perspective of a world in crisis after the blip. But this show came out when we were in the middle of COVID. So, you know, I think that there is I think that may have been also may also may have enhanced its message, but at the same time may cause people to maybe shy away from it because it is causing you to have to look at some hard truths. So the way the world is, the way the world used to be. Should it stay Mm -hmm. that way or does it need to become something new? And I think that's a lot of some of the ideological battlegrounds that are going on there. Right. It's also interesting that it's Disney, right? (laughs) So, and I want to bring that up because there's a real attack on Disney right now post (laughs) this period of COVID, right? So -hmm. now people are really saying, I want to shut down, shut down Disney. I don't like Disney. Disney is doing all these woke things. (laughs) This is very much part of that they're saying all of these things about race and justice and gender they don't get so much into gender as much as i would have liked them to have but they do point to different ideas here that are both historical but they are tracing that history from jim crow almost going back to slavery especially thinking about the idea of new orleans right in this like louisiana bayou yeah where was this house being built when was it built was historical family and then going all the way to present day and then still the particular issues that you see within black communities but also the beauty of it right how people can come together how people are allies how they can work as one even the Captain America character here is married to a black woman. It's very interesting that they made that true. So it's like, well, are they a good person? Do they understand it? Do they not? Um, is high school sweetheart storyline. Yeah. So it's very interesting how they put in individuals. And then, of course, the white women who are all very, very powerful within this piece in particular. Uh, thinking from Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character, who yeah. played beautifully. Um, and also the idea of the supervillain um, and all these other individuals. It's really interesting how they've also... Yeah, we have um, Sharon Carter basically as the power broker at the end. And exactly. it's like, it, is, it, has, it does touch on so many things that I think is so fascinating. They just go beyond dealing with race, but there's, you know, talking about gender. I mean... I mean, I look at Sam Wilson's sister as an incredibly pivotal, important character in this show because, well, he's off saving the world. She's the one who's literally holding everything holding together down. at home. Yeah, you know, and, and it's it's nice to show. see them show that, you know. And it's mm-hmm. I always think that when I what I always find fascinating is I I do appreciate 
the Bucky storyline where he's kind of going through therapy and trying to find his way back in the world. But the thing that stuck out me most when I watched it the second time for the uh, our main podcast and for this is Sam's journey. Yes. Because his journey is like he's he's kind of having to find his own way and that involves him having to come to terms with his race. I don't know if right. it's like the first time, but it's like he's been in a world where that didn't matter. And now he's come right. back to this world where all of a sudden it's being used against him. Right. You know, yeah. in a way that obviously really when he was in the military, maybe, you know, it wasn't necessarily a thing. Or when he right. was an Avenger, it wasn't a thing. Or when he was palling around with Captain America, it mm -hmm. wasn't a thing. And now he's in a world where there is no Steve Rogers. There are no Avengers. He's sort of still in the military, but when he goes back out into the real world, he's coming out with these sort of racially neutral ideas and finding out and getting pushback right. from the real world. Yes, because it's going back to the idea of the post-racial America that Obama tried to claim. And uh, I remember having an assignment with my students a long time ago about, is it a post-racial America? And it is not. Um, sometimes you can get into spaces, especially as an African-American, where you grew up in a certain place, or you spend time in only certain places, people know you. And so you can start going out as a person. You don't always think about your race every day. But then it's always that moment where you're just like in a place or somebody hasn't met you and then you're confronted again with racism. And I think that is also where he doesn't fully admit it. I think that's why he wouldn't take the shield in the first place because he deep down knew that America was still a racist place. And what, did, he, did he really want to represent that? Is yeah. that where he wanted to be? And then having that speech where he says, listen, I get I'm a black man and some of you looking at me, you're judging me, but I'm doing this because this I feel like this is for the greater good. But I have not forgotten who I am and I haven't forgotten the people who come before me. And in fact, I'm going to make sure to honor them. Um, and so I think that was really poignant to say, yes, we have come very far in certain places, but we're still a, it's still a racist nation. And these ideas are not something that are out in the ether, but something that we're still dealing with every day. And I, I really felt like the series did a great job with that, in particular with the police scene, where when you're driving, you're still driving while black. And then sometimes somebody might recognize you, yeah. but that doesn't mean that you're always safe. I was really happy to see that Isaiah Bradley, that I could just, I could look at him and say, that man has every right to be furious at the world. Right. way he was treated, what he went through, the thing that he sacrificed to basically fight for the country and then what the country did to him. I was really happy to see that he got that recognition because I think one of the things that maybe has been under under misunderstood, I think, and this is just my opinion, but like we say America is a racist nation and I fully agree. I say if America doesn't want to be that, we've got to work. Right. There's got to be something you can't just say we're not or we are and that's it you've got to if you want that to change there's work that has to be done and i think right. when we get to the end of this series and what sam when he does take on the mantle it's his way of saying i'm willing to work right to model something to push through to do something that you know you may not like it but it's like this is what we're going to do if we're going to really move forward and be something different be those things that we think we are or we thought we were or we believe that are promised it doesn't just happen because you say something it happens because you put in that effort you know i agree 
I agree. And I think it's also, he's just really a symbol of the civil rights movement that's never stopped. You know, enslaved people ran away through the entire time of slavery. Jim Crow, they're always fighting against it. Um, every single law that goes up against African-Americans is because we've always been pushing. We've always been working towards that freedom. And so we've always been freedom seekers. We've always been doing this work. And so he highlights what we have been doing and that we need to continue to do. We can't forget um, I think that's important because sometimes when you have access in some ways, you can start to get a little bit complacent, realizing that we still there's so many spaces where African Americans and minorities are still pushing women and um, LGBTQ plus community. We're still trying to work towards access, and so it's I think that was an important symbol also for everybody to remember this particular individual Bradley, but also all the work of those individuals before who are really trying to make sure we have not forgotten and that we continue the good fight, which is very, very hard work. I always think about that 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 quotation, I'm slipping who said it, but the price of freedom is eternal, is eternal vigilance. You know, the Absolutely. idea that you don't rest on your laurels, you know, right. it's not something that you just, you get done with it and you put it aside and you don't ever come back to it. It's like a continuously constant effort. You know, even if it's a Sisyphean task, it's like, yeah, you do it because that's what you, you know, that's what you signed up for when you, you know, if you believe in freedom and democracy and the idea of what America can be, you know, right. then you want to fight for those things. And I think that's why I think having him come that full circle to becoming Captain America is such a powerful statement about where we need to go, you know. Absolutely. I 100% concur. <laughs> Excellent. And it was a great, it was a great film. Too. It, was it was a great, great. series. Uh, it, was great. it was really yeah. enjoyable. So <laughs> All right, well, that was also too. Fun thing is we're recording this. I actually have to run off to class here in a few minutes. So thank you, mm -hmm. Catherine, for being here. Great thank talk. You. Great talk. It was right, great. I hope to have you back great again talking sometime. To you. Please yes. do. I enjoy this every single time. So thank yes. you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that wraps up this episode of Why. Tell us your thoughts. Tell us what you think. Write us at notfunnyguys.offthereels at gmail.com. Hit us up on Instagram at, at not underscore funny underscore guys underscore presents. Over on Twitter at not funny guys pod at blue sky at the not funny guys. Stay strange and keep asking questions.